Minneapolis with a band called Bad September. Okay. And the show was in October. So it was August and September in October. Nice. I hit record so I could use this as a promo. All right, man. All right. Later. All right. We, 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 they're, they're missing out on all the, uh, the, the hardwood, uh, paneling talk we had on take one yeah it was uh fascinating if you're in well because you have good wood paneling and i have the i have the cheap the cheap paneling yeah i almost felt uh i felt bad because i have uh, all my instruments up on the wall here like because you know when you put the hole into the the wood paneling like it's it's there forever but uh yeah it kind of makes me feel you know uh, remembers you know memories of childhood because uh, when I lived in uh, Chicago, where I was born, my parents had some the bad wood paneling, and uh, it's kind of stuck with me all these years. There is something just welcoming about it, for whatever reason. Yeah, it makes a it's a simple thing to make a boring room a little more interesting. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of houses these days are boxes, and they don't make they you know I hate to say they don't make them like they used to, like just interesting spaces you know to live in. I'm more of a, I mean, I'm, I'm nowhere close to owning a house at all, but I, I definitely don't want to own a standard kind of thing. I want something with a little bit, and I'm like that with everything in life. I, I want something with a, a little bit of character and probably a story behind it to some degree. Oh, yeah. Well, I was thinking about, you know, and I, other people have done this before, when we leave this house, like hiding a note that says, you know, just something sweet about how, you know, we lived here and passed our time and something that maybe somebody will find 50 years when they're remodeling or something like that. I mean, it's better like a, a positive note than like a hidden murder weapon, which has happened. <laughs> how many times you've heard like mm. someone knocks down a wall and there's a, a revolver with a missing shot or a, a, yeah. a burned whatever. There was a house, uh, I think, here in Baltimore uh, a couple years ago that they pulled up the 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 wall. They pulled out the walls in the the attic uh, to remodel, and there was a bunch of bottles of Old Crow, uh, I think, bourbon or rye from the twenties or you know some you know something ridiculous. Were they unopened or were they? Yeah, they were that's... unopened. Somebody stashed a bunch of Old Crow. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, up here where I am in Gettysburg, you always, you know, probably once a year, someone's excavating and they come across the Civil War relic or, I don't know if anyone's found, like, the remains of a soldier. I think it's cool uh, in Gettysburg, well, um, the Battlefield Brewworks where yeah. I've played, and I, th- I think you've played there, like, you could still see bullet holes and the different buildings in Gettysburg, you could see, you know, bullet holes and stuff. yeah. Just history still living on. There's one thing this town loves. It's it's history. <laughs> it, it better. It was, you know, a. I would say it was a pretty important part in the foundation of, I guess, the country. I mean, definitely, but that sounded so cliche that I didn't want to say that. <laughs> well, it... It's one of those places where, like, you can kind of feel the past, if that makes sense. It, that That's kind of corny, too. But, like, you know, big things happened there. You know, thousands of people died. It, it's 
And um, I like Gettysburg. I've only been maybe three or four times. And I do like history. I wouldn't consider myself a history buff. But uh, places that have that rich, you know, past to them for good, bad, or, what, you know, indifferent. Kind of similar to um, when people go to, um, I'm, I'm losing in uh, Germany, Auschwitz, yeah. where, like, people just weep, you know, because that place is just full of all that history and all the memories of the bad things that happened. It is it is some heavy stuff. I mean, I did watch or not watch. Well, I did I watched the movie Gettysburg at the beginning of the quarantine, but we as a family, we did walk every section of the battlefield. Oh, at wow. the, in like April. One thing about the Gettysburg uh, movie, great movie, terrible fucking beards. Fake ass <laughs> beards. You got to get coming from two guys that got a lot of facial yeah. hair. They ch- they chinsed out on the beards. You gotta give them props. I mean, for for nineteen ninety two fake beards. Yeah, but they were props. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All they should have they should have said, "Hey, Tom Berenger, we're gonna hold off shooting for another year. Grow a fucking beard." <laughs> we can't we can't film this movie until you. It'd be funny if Tom Berenger couldn't grow a beard. So here's a little uh, little tidbit. So I was I've been lucky enough to actually be in a couple of movies. I d- I was an extra in the movie Lincoln. Okay. And um, we th- I got hired because of my sideburns, my mutton chops, and like hundreds of guys did. And at the uh, like the rap party for the extras, uh, one of the producers actually came out and he's like, "I'm not kidding." Thank you guys for the amazing facial hair. You saved us thousands and thousands of dollars in prosthetic wigs and beards. All right. So it was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, we both we both could get transported back in time and probably blend in. Yeah. Other than the fact that I would throw a fit because there's no seltzer water. <laughs> that that's the, available as the kids say the hill you die on no seltzer water this is bullshit pretty much everything else everything else in 1862 i'm okay with <laughs> no seltzies i mean i wouldn't want to go back then because you know like malaria and all that stuff like I, i'm pretty sure that the diseases you had to be scared of back then is worse than what's going on right now because you could oh, yeah. get Right now, we're concerned about one. Well, and back then, you cured things with cocaine. Maybe I do want to go back in time. <laughs> I think I, I would do... Uh, there, was a, there was a show on PBS a while back, a while, while back, uh, called like The Victorian House. Okay. And a family had to live for like a month in all Victorian conditions in England. Um, and man, whew. You know, the women had it bad in a lot of ways because they couldn't vote. But, like, the laundry, the lady, it was like she started on Monday and didn't finish till Wednesday. And you're washing everything by hand, scrubbing with, like, not soap, but, like, just lye. And her hands were just all grizzled and dried out. Just imagine, like, laundry taking you half the week and then you turn around and start it again. Yeah, I don't like it when laundry takes half my day. Well, and takes half our day. We throw it in, you know, in the wash, throw it in the dryer. Now imagine washing every piece of that by yeah, hand. Yeah, I don't want to do that at all. 
Ugh. There's got to be a blend. I, I like. I, I feel people probably had a better appreciation for survival because they had to grow their own food. Mm-hmm. So I think we should probably get back to that where we, you know, appreciate general skills and just people who can keep themselves alive off of knowledge and skills they possess. But also at the same time, laundry machines are pretty handy. And I wear oh, yeah, the, I, almost the same thing every day. Like, I've noticed since the, the quarantine, t- what you just said, like uh, I got really into gardening. I was watching gardening shows on YouTube. And then, you know, we didn't know what we were in for, just trying to grow more of your own food. Yeah. And um, even if this passes, like I'm going to carry on with that because, you know, it's a simple thing to get gratification out of. And it's kind of calming to go out there you know water your plants and then uh you know we have a two-year-old so she loves plucking the tomatoes so it's a thing to do yeah. gets us outside you know so a little bit of self-sufficiency is a, a good thing yeah i everyone who has a really good garden is really into their garden and uh I respect it. I respect it. I never thought I'm at that weird turn in adulthood where I, I, I look at things that I didn't pay attention to before. And I'm like, oh, that's just nice. <laughs> I think, too, like when you go from apartment living to owning a home, like I I grew some vegetables like out on the little apartment deck or whatever. But it was always like one tomato yeah. plant, one pepper plant. But then now when you have a little bit of space, it's like, holy cow, okay, I can put down 10 of these plants. And then this year we uh, tilled up uh, like a maybe like a 50 by three strip right against the mm-hmm. fence of uh, our grass and just threw a bunch of wildflowers. And, you know, you feel really old, but every day I walk out there, I'm like, this is probably one of the best decisions I've made all year. Just wildflowers and the butterflies come and the yeah. bees so, yeah, stuff I may not have given a shit about in my 20s that now it's like, wow, this is uh, this is calming. This is good. Yeah. $10 worth of wildflower seeds and, you know, it's uh, given me more satisfaction than any Netflix show or, you know, drink I've drank. Yeah. My problem is I just don't have a green thumb. Neither do I. I mean, I think, you know, I've been just watching the hell out of YouTube videos. And the cool thing about, like, my personality, like with the the wildflowers, you just throw them out there and you let them do yeah. their thing. And it's not I said, I literally said to my wife last night, when I was talking about this. I'm like, you know what? You know, wildflowers are my personality. You, you throw it down. You let them go wild. I'm like, fuck you, orchids. <laughs> I don't want an orchid. Oh, you're not going to bloom this year? Eat my ass. <laughs> Wildflowers are coming up like crazy. I don't want, yeah, I don't want a plant that like you got a cow. No. No. But I do have, uh, I would I would like to one day have the commitment to, to do a bonsai tree. I feel like that would be very, very soothing. Oh. Oh. Not, see? Like, okay, you do you. Not for me. Oh. I know I don't I oh, don't man. have the personality for it, but I I'm a, I'm mentally attached to the fantasy that out there somewhere uh-huh. is either a version of me in another universe or me down the road who's just keeping this. You want to be that yeah. person? 
but I know I'm I'm not going to go for it cuz I I'll lose interest and then I'll feel guilty cuz I killed it. Yeah. And they're not cheap. I don't I, I don't no. think they're, you know, they might be a little I pricey. looked into it and it's a it's a pricey lifelong pursuit. Yeah. And I with my career goals what am I going to take a bonsai tree on potentially a tour bus one day? Probably not. Yeah. And then are you going to entrust that to a friend to take care of for six nope. months and come back and, you know, five years of your time? That's a thing like, similarly, I've always wanted a, a model railroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not handy with like paints and build and all that sort of stuff, but I want to be. I like the idea of yep. it. But I also, it's a lot of money, a lot of time commitment. My uh, one of my favorite comedian just put out an album, and he did a bit where he's like, "I am, I emphasize, like, I, I really relate with the model train guys these days. Like, I understand it. Where he's just like, you see something that's going <laughs> wrong in the world that you don't like, and you can just go into the basement and be in charge of Steve's town. Yeah, and one of the like. Model railroads and video games. Like I was big into video games, you know, up through Super Nintendo. I know that's ancient news, but when I started getting really into writing and playing music, I kind of made a decision. I said, "Okay, we but we bought a Wii, but that was it." And I'm like, "I'm not. I can't do any more because I will never play the guitar. I will never write. I will sit there and play video yeah. games all day because it is such a great easy escape." Yeah. And, you know, I'm not knocking anybody that does play video games. Like, I, when I saw, what was it, Red Dead Redemption 2, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. I'm going to want to buy this, and then I'm just going to want to live in the Old yep. West. Like, holy shit. And, like, and it's, I'm still like, okay, when it's, like, up to PlayStation 25, I'm going to buy the PlayStation 4, get Red Dead Redemption. I'll be 55 playing a, you know, 20-year-old game and loving yeah, it. Yeah, it was a... Uh... As a kid, I was like raised on westerns with my grandfather, so they're very like near and dear to my heart. I love a good western, and all of my friends know this. And I think it's just solely based off of my mustache. But uh, <laughs> they're like, are "You buying Red Dead?" I was like, "No, because if I buy it, I will do nothing else. I won't go to yep. work. I won't play music. I will buy that game, and I will pl- I will I will I will play that game from the time I buy it until the." The time I'm dead. What uh? What's your favorite uh? Western. Probably Tombstone. Okay. That's the most sent. That's the Which, most sentimental one to me. You got Tombstone. So that's the one with Val Kilmer and Kurt yeah. Russell. Now, um I will okay, admit, so, you know, the the uh, Kevin Costner Wyatt Earp is more historically accurate, but. That's what I was getting at. I was like, have you yes, seen that I have. one? Yeah. I like them both. I, I like them both a lot. Um, my favorite Western, have you ever seen or read Lonesome Dove? I watched Lonesome Dove as a kid. And I remember not loving it, probably because it was really drawn out. But I imagine if I watch it yeah. now, it would be... It, I would appreciate it, it more me, now it's, than it's, I did back. Like when I was a kid, it was like I just wanted to see the gunfights. Yeah, it ain't about that. There are some yeah. of those, but yeah, it's a like a, I, I think it's a twelve hundred page okay. novel, 
And I talk about this book often. It's one of the reasons my wife and I met. Like, I recommended it to her on MySpace. And she Romantic. actually read it and was like, oh, this guy's not a complete asshole. Uh, how wrong she was. <laughs> but uh, it, it's one of those books where, like, you get 100 pages in. It's about a cattle yeah. drive. You get 100 pages in, and they haven't left the ranch for the cattle drive yet. And it's still just thoroughly engrossing because all the characters jump off the page. There's like four different uh, concurrent storylines going on. And the movie is just as good as the book. It's not one of those where, you know, oh, you should read the book. The movie sucks. I They're, they're both. Neck like, and I, neck, I consider. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, the movies, they they change stuff, but it's still, if you can separate the two, like, I think it's a great adaptation, and the adaptation of Lonesome Dove is spectacular. So if you're willing to give it the time it takes, it's like eight hours long. The movie, right? Yeah. The movie. Yeah, it was like a mini, it was a mini yeah. series back when that was a thing. Yeah. And I'm that old. I watched it when I was probably six or seven with my parents when it was on TV. I remember my grandfather had the DVD of it and he tried. Like, I, I remember I watched it with him, but I also remember being seven or eight and being like, this is. When are they going to shoot the bad guy? Where's Clint Eastwood? <laughs> yeah. I would recommend, uh, you know, if you are interested, picking up the novel or at least the audio book if you're a Western buff. It's. And the thing about it, I think it's it's book three of a tetralogy, I think, by it's um LM um shit, Montgomery. I can't I'm losing the guy's name at the moment, but it's like book three of five. Okay. Five or six, I can't remember. But anyhow. That I um, I watched all of the uh oh, go ahead. the spaghetti western good the bad the ugly trilogy. I've only seen parts of those, and I, I think I have to be in the mood, and, you know, and it's not my, it wouldn't be my go-to, the parts that I have seen, but like I appreciate them and the the music. In There's them is a, awesome. um, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Reverb.com on their YouTube channel, they did a uh, a little behind-the-scenes thing of what makes the soundtracks to Spaghetti Westerns so cool. Okay. It's like a, a 10 or 12 minute out. video and I watch it probably once every other week. <laughs> Just cuz I I enjoy it. And it's on my my career bucket list to score a spaghetti western. Nice. These days I think I have the technology and the resources will be available that it could even be an animated spaghetti western, but I love the just that DIY low budget ethic and just a super verby twangy guitar with mm. with didn't they use a lot of baritone yeah, guitars his baritone guitars just with like slap back delay on it and stuff and instead of the giant epic cinema you know there's like the percussion is like a gunshot or a whistle or a whip oh yeah that stuff's so cool to me well especially from like a uh, an audio engineer standpoint too or um just using using non-traditional sounds and objects to make sounds. Yeah. And then as the listener, you know, just the casual listener, they just you, they just take it at face value, 
where, you know, if you know what's behind it, it's like, oh, that was a trash can with a bunch of reverb yeah. on it, man. It sounds cool. I have the entire, uh, I'm, his name's escaping me because it's crazy Italian in nature. But the guy who scored all of those uh, spaghetti western flicks, I have just the playlist of the soundtrack on my on my iTunes library. And uh, probably like a year ago, I was I had it playing just as I was like doing stuff around the house, and I ended up taking a nap to the spaghetti western soundtracks. Mm-hmm. And everyone from my family came home, and I woke up, and they're like, "What the hell are you listening to?" It's like, <laughs> uh, awesome stuff obviously couple other favorites of mine you know these aren't far off the beaten path um i really love lonesome dove or not lonesome dove um dances with wolves and then um there's another good one with kevin costner and robert duvall called open range Mm -hmm. i like that one because like it's a very realistic gunfight at the end. Um, I think, and I think they mentioned this in the extras, like the the big bad guy, you know, right off the bat, I think Costner walks right up to him, shoots him in the head because they're like, that's what you would yeah. do. You're not going to like fight the minions first and work your no. way up. Like you're going to take out the best shot right away. Like it's, you know, it was down and dirty. And especially with these guns at the time that, you know, were not no. accurate. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think. They all kind of bleed together. Like it's it's hard to to piece the scenes from one to another just because I've seen so many of them. Oh, I love. This is not a movie, but uh, Briscoe County Junior. Not familiar. You ever see that no. TV show? It's. Uh, are you familiar with um, uh, Evil Dead? Yeah. It's uh, Bruce Campbell. So it's kind of like a comedy sci-fi western kind of all about that so it's there's like um a supernatural element and you know the, uh, a guy in a black hat sort of thing and um it only ran for like two or three seasons but uh i love all of it it's great it's and it still holds up okay uh I th- so I, yeah check out the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Okay, I'll make a note of that when I edit this and whatnot. I, the point I was going to make is <laughs> I've watched so many freaking movies this quarantine, and I'm not really a movie guy, so I've been... Yeah. I started with the classics. I just I watched all of my favorite comedy movies within the first month of quarantine just to see if they still hold up. And then that turned into, I'm going to watch all of the trilogies that I've ever watched, and then I'm going to rank <laughs> the order of the trilogies, because why not? What came out on top? I mean, The Lord of the Rings, for me, is number one movie franchise of all time. So that wins favorite movie, favorite trilogy, and anything movie-related, that's going to be my pick for best. But my point is, because I know you're a Back to the Future guy, I think I like Back to the Future 3 better than Back to the Future 2 simply because I just love a good Western. See, we're talking about Westerns, and I love Back to the Future, and it didn't even dawn on me to go Back to the Future 3. I don't really consider Um, it a Western, but I think I definitely rank, like, Back to the Future 1 is the best. See, I like 2 the best. See, I don't really like 2's. 
in third place for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I go two, one, three. And I do like Westerns, but that I, you know. Yeah, I go one, three, two. Ah. I th- uh it's it's one of those movies where it's the I think it's the first trilogy where so they shot the first one and it was bit you know huge at the box office. It was the first trilogy where they shot the first one and then they shot the next two back to back. You know, like the, the the Matrix, they shot the first one and then they shot two and three yeah. back to back. Uh Pirates of the Caribbean, they shot the first one, it blew up, they did two and three back to back. And it's still so much better than those other trilogies. Yes. It's there's a couple of flaws in it, but yeah, like the Matrix two and three, it just goes downhill. Yeah, I actually <laughs> I went to watch the Matrix because it was on Netflix. Watch the first one, and then I was watching the second one the next night, later in the evening. And I I've never started a movie when it gets taken off Netflix. So I got twenty minutes into it just when it kind of starts to vamp up oh. and then it was like connection lost i didn't know they yeah do that. they take them they take them oh. off at like 1 20 a.m or something Weird. i was like oh son of a bitch i was gonna pull an all-nighter <laughs> watching the matrix um and i feel like pirates of the caribbean two and three could have just been one movie oh yeah it was Two, they put all their eggs in in the uh, Davy Jones basket, and it was just uh, it got it had its moments. Yeah, there's parts of two that I really like, and there's parts of three that I really like, but there's a lot of two and three that I don't care for. The thing that I kind of break it down to, like in the first one, you're thoroughly entertained by a well choreographed sword fight when they're in that blacksmith shop and there's some silliness where they're going up and down off the like teeter-totter. But by the end of the third movie, it's a choreographed sword fight on the mast of a ship in a CGI maelstrom with this giant lady in the background. Like, they just kept upping the ante unnecessarily where you're like, this is just ridiculous now. Yeah, like, I was fine. I like the parts where Jack gets, like, condemned to the other side and he's just in that purgatory I liked that part of the movie but I don't know I think the the they kind of did it with uh, the fourth and fifth ones I thought all along it should have been episodic you know like Indiana Jones yeah. no continuation just the, the next adventure of bloom 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 and speaking of trilogies, because we don't recognize the fourth Indiana no, Jones. No, we do not. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say I love, I go three, one, two on that. Um, Last Crusade, Raiders, and then Temple of Doom. Probably. Uh, that's how I would fall on it. Three and one are almost interchangeable for me. I think three has the slight edge just because of Sean Connery. Yeah. But I also, and there's a lot of good, a lot of good gags and a lot of good set pieces yeah. there too. And I love a good German engineered tank from the early 1900s. <laughs> I think uh, with the fourth one, again, they just upped the ante too much. You got a uh, what's his balls, uh, Shia LaBeouf. You know that whole CGI monkey swinging thing. the the best The best part of four for me is when. Uh, 
I think uh, Shia LaBeouf's driving a motorcycle, and Indiana Jones is like climbing into the cars off the back of the motorcycle, punching bad guys, and then he's getting dragged behind the motorcycle by Shia LaBeouf, and LaBeouf just uh, taps the brakes, and it kind of causes the the bike to go up, and Indy hops back on it, and it was just a small practical effect where it's like that's Indiana Jones, yeah. that little practical effect, you know, not all this CGI wonder stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I, I think I saw four in theaters and then I watched it once afterwards. And the only part yeah. that sticks in my mind is when he's punching the guy on the back of the Jeep. And he's mm-hmm. like, I thought you were a double agent. And he's like, does that make you a triple agent? He's like, no, I just lied about being a double agent. And I was like, ah, oh, I like the I like the wordplay there. <laughs> and that was it. And he's like, that. Eh. And they waited way too long because that was 2007 and he was already an old man throwing these haymakers. Yeah. So when they finally get around to the next one, like, he's going to be a corpse. You don't, yeah, you don't have to add on to a previously done trilogy. You can make something new well, up. Like, they, they kind of, they, I thought that the Mutt character, Shia LaBeouf, should have been the one that picked up the reins. Yeah. And then if they do a fifth one, it should have been where now Harrison Ford is in the Sean Connery role, more of the puttering and, you know, the wizened one. Or like with Indiana Jones, like, you know, I really, really, really do like the Indiana Jones movies. I think they probably should have just called it quits for Harrison Ford. And I want to see Chris Pratt as Indiana Jones. I like that. That's a good, that would be a good recast. Yeah, like, everybody likes Chris Pratt, you know, in general. He's good at being funny, and he's a good action star, and it's kind of got that balance, you know. Even if they waited another 10 years, you know, or something. But I think uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who is the producer for Disney on that or something, said, like, you know, they won't ever recast Indiana Jones, which I don't I'm also get. fine with that. And like, I think it, it could just be that. It doesn't need to be... Yeah, but it but it could be. I, I feel like I could live with a Indiana Jones recasting, but I don't think Back to the Future should ever be remade. Fair. And uh, Zemeckis and Bob Gale have both been on the record saying they will never give up the rights to the movie to have it remade as long as they're alive. Good, yeah. They won't reboot it. I don't think it should. Yeah. And I thought with Indiana Jones 4, it was like, you know, very Spielberg of him to go the aliens route. But I really wish they kept it in the, the, the more religious, mythical, you know, that sort of stuff instead of, oh, aliens did it. Okay. It's almost a cop out, I feel. The alien yeah, thing. Well, he, and that's, that's Spielberg's thing. Like, he did, like, what, uh, Close Encounters, AI, like, he's really big in the alien stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Let's see. What else are they going to ruin? Oh, the uh, uh, what about the Amazon uh, uh, J.R.R. Token series that's coming out? I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, I think they're taking stories from like his unfinished tales and the Silmarillion. Okay. But I I don't know, man. I don't I don't know if they're making new stories around these characters. That's always kind of dicey, you know. I didn't watch a single episode of Game of Thrones, Neither have I. but I thought it was, f- 
I thought it was fucking ridiculous where they got up to what like book seven and George R. R. Martin hadn't finished book eight, so they went fuck it, we're gonna write it ourselves, and they wrote you know that eighth season was not a book. Yeah, I don't know. I'm there, I'm I'm not really nope. a show guy. I I'm not. I don't know. Like, wait a minute. You're not a movie guy. You're not a show guy. What does that leave? I mean, like, I will watch movies, and I will like I've watched more movies this year than I have in the last six years of my life combined. And this year is solely <laughs> just quarantine because it's. I'm kind of just treating it like a weird vacation that I have. See, I'm I'm a big show and movie guy. Um, and with uh, you know all the streaming stuff, uh, I tend to like when I get into it, like I, I watch mm-hmm. all of it. Not necessarily back to back to back to back to back, but um, I don't watch. I don't watch, you know, season one and two, and then drift off to a different show. Finish I, it, yeah. That's the one I focus on. Another good one. I don't know uh, how much you like pirate stuff. Uh, I found out about called Black Sails. Okay. It was on Showtime maybe four years ago, but uh, it only ran four seasons. And it's kind of a prequel to uh, Treasure Island. All right. So you you see Long John Silver before he is Long yeah. John Silver, and there's a little there's some historical characters that come in, like Edward Teach, who was Blackbeard. So mm-hmm. historical fiction, and uh, it's it's good. It's like the anti um, Pirates of the Caribbean, where it's pretty realistic. You know, it's not a comedy. There's uh, the characters, you know, by season two, like they're pretty deep where you're like you're emotionally invested in these weirdos. I feel like four seasons isn't enough, but I feel like anything after six is too many for for a solid show. I depending on the show, but I. For this one, four seasons was perfect because they they wrote a story and it yeah. ended. Not like remember Lost. I never watched Lost. That but I mean, show? I I know. Oh. It kind of it kind of ended it? when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, so it was just before my time. Oh, and I know so a lot of people were disappointed was, with it. Oh, it was. I didn't even finish it, and I when I, the first time it came on, I was like, "This is amazing!" It was like the first TV show that was shot like a movie. Okay. Um, and I I remember saying to my dad, I think I was I could have been like fourteen or whatever. I was like, "This is gonna this would be an amazing two season show," because by the end of season one, you were like, "Holy shit, what's gonna happen? Oh my god!" And then. It, it just kept going, and some of the leads never paid off. Yeah. And the writers even admitted afterwards, like, yeah, they would just write shit with no intention of paying off, you know, paying off what happened because they were making it up as they went. Yeah, I watched um, it- on and off Man in the High Castle because I really like that era of United States history, the World War II era. Yeah. I thought the first season was great. I thought the second season was good. And then in this quarantine, I did fin. I was like, I never finished this series, so we'll see. So I watched seasons three and four. And like, I marathoned it, and it went. It fell flat towards the end. Well, it's good to know because we watched season one and two, and I felt the same way. And then I saw season three, like little bits, like my parents would be watching it, and I'd be in the room, and I just went, 
This seems to be dragging on a bit. Maybe I won't dive back into this it, one. Yeah. It was a bummer because I, I watched season one when it first came out five years ago or whatever. And it was great. I, th- I think I watched it in like two days. I remember staying up until 5 a.m. to finish season one. It was I might have watched it in a night. Um, my uh, my wife loves uh, Philip K. Dick, but she always complains that none of his movies or TV shows or anything like the books at all. Like Total Recall, mm-hmm. not like the story at all. Um, Minority Report, not like the story at all. Because she says like he writes, you know, loner weirdos that Hollywood turns into Tom Cruise action heroes. That's a you know? good way to phrase it. Yeah. So she's always pissed off when she sees an adaptation. I and I, I don't I don't know about Man in the High Castle. I don't know how. Close I've never that read is. the book. I like the premise. I I thought it it I like elements of where it went, but it just you could tell it did the Pirates of the Caribbean thing, where they did mm. season one to see if people would like it, and it blew up. And then they were like, "We don't know where to go with this. Like we have a general story arc." I mean, they they say they do a good job of of giving you a false hope for certain characters, or and a false okay. expectation. But it it you can tell that they knew that they were only going to do four seasons, probably because it kind of lost some steam after season three, from what I've gathered. So then, okay. like, just they killed off a bunch of characters before season four. Like, they didn't get killed off in season three, but there were flashbacks to killing them off in season four. Spoiler alert for anyone who's listening. And then you could tell that they were just like, well, we're just going to kill that guy, and we're going to kill that gal, and we're going to kill that character, and we're going to kill this character. And it's like, ah. Not very, not very focused on the, the yeah. storytelling or where they were going. It needed either I w- another half season. Because season four from episodes one to, I think they do 10 a season. Like episodes one through seven were just really getting drug on. And then Mm. you can tell like the last three or four episodes of the season, they they tried to just vamp it up and they just kept cramming stuff in. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about the, like the street Netflix or streaming services, how they treat seasons you know where so uh, I felt sometimes with like the uh, the Marvel, um, Daredevil, uh, Punisher, Jessica Jones, um, Iron Fist, where it may have been a ten episode season, but it really could have been seven. Yeah, you know you got those filler I would episodes. Much where rather like, have seven strong episodes, and yeah. like make one an hour and a half. Who cares? Yeah. And and as far as stretching goes, like with movies, I was so disappointed in The Hobbit. Like I don't, especially since I don't even. Th- huh? They did three of them, right? I don't even think yeah. I watched the third one. It's like I I I watched them when they came out and they were forgettable, and then I watched them years later, back to back to back, and just went like, you know. So The Hobbit was a a single children's book that Tolkien yeah. wrote, and. They blew it up into three movies, whereas The Lord of the Rings was one book in three parts, and they made it into three <coughs> movies, and it's, you know, damn they near perfect. They basically made it into almost six ho- movies. Well, with, yeah, the uh, 
but uh like that with the the hobbit like there's characters in that movie that are not in that book like legolas doesn't freaking show up in the book they put it in there because uh, uh orlando bloom was gonna sell tickets yeah. There's no love story between the Evangeline Lily elf and the uh, the dwarf guy like that. It that does not happen. Yeah, I don't even know. I haven't read The Hobbit in a couple years. I don't even know if there's a female character in The Hobbit at all. Definitely not a, a not a dwarfs. main character. Galadriel not in The Hobbit. No. Um, Saruman, not in The Hobbit. They did that whole scene where it's like Gandalf, Saruman, Galadriel, and I think Elrond, if I'm remembering. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This shit wasn't in the book. No. And it had no flow. Like, I think I remember hearing that, like, so Peter Jackson directed those too, and, like, they didn't, like, the Lord of the Rings was storyboarded, like, and then pre-visualized almost into the ground where, like, they knew what they were doing before they did yeah. it. And with The Hobbit, he was just kind of like, eh, fuck it. Action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. It was, movies are weird. It should have been, at most, at most, a two-movie yeah. split. You know, if you're going to drag it. But, you know, what the hell do we I, know? I'm currently running a, uh, a crowdfunding campaign where I'm like, oh, we got $3,000. And it's taken out, you know, all I can to get that money. And it's not even going to be a quarter of what we need while, you know, these assholes are making, you know, great books into garbage and making millions. Yep. So I'm trying to make something amazing out of pennies. Like if I had a hundred k to make a record, oh my god! Yeah, I would do so many drums for you if you had a hundred k to make a record. <laughs> I guess we should. Hey Adam, why did your rate go up to a thousand dollars an hour? It's one one dollar per drum hit. <laughs> yeah. I guess we should explain I... that we didn't meet through an online movie fan club. We met through. <laughs> actually music which is what i intended this to be about but movie talk is good yeah i i, I wasn't gonna push you in any direction i was like okay i don't know where are we going i don't I, know because my our basement is western themed so i'm looking at pictures of the grand canyon of you know different kind of old west stuff uh there's a photo of me and my wife across from me in one of those cheesy uh old-timey photo booths oh you know, yeah where you Big get dressed fan. up in the and then, uh, so yeah, I do have an affinity. So when you went the Western route, I was I'll, like, all right, let's I'll go. ride it out. Uh, I know I like the old timey, I like the old timey photos. There's, uh, there's a, been a critique where people have said that I don't really make facial expressions throughout the day. <laughs> okay. And there's a, a picture of myself and one of my brothers when I was, when we were like, I was probably like six and he was probably one and we're, we're dressed up like cowboys and neither of us are making a facial expression in the picture. Just you got to get, uh, 
I've been lucky enough to get a couple of tin types of myself and so, uh, some of uh, the band at the time. And my wife and I got a daguerreotype. Um, I think you would do well in them. They're they're really interesting. It is almost kind of magical. Like s- some people's faces, they it, the the tin type just does something to you. Like um, my cousin, who's just the most jovial, you know, happy go lucky guy. You know, we did. He was in the band at the time, and we did one. And it came out, and I was like, holy fucking shit, you look like a goddamn axe murderer. Just steel, cold, you know, like, it does something to some people's faces, just the process. And it's really cool to see yourself in a way that a regular photograph, I don't, you know, it's just some kind of mojo with the process. It's it's really uh, something else. So if you can get a tintype done, pretty sure you could probably get them done again. I would imagine. It's got to be. I know we have an old-timey photo place somewhere it's only see i love the authentic tintype and the garbage old-timey photo you know there's there it velcros in the back i love them i don't equally. care I, it, I i realize that i've been such a like drip of a hipster jackass throughout my life that i haven't allowed myself to have a lot of fun so now i'm just especially with the the pandemic and the quarantine hitting like right as i'm getting in that weird awareness phase of adulthood where it's like oh i'm not gonna be young anymore like i'm still young i still got time but i'm definitely running out of time to say yeah i got time i mean i'm almost 40 and i've been saying i'm gonna give music one more year for about 15 years you know, just like, uh, all right, I got to do something else. If this doesn't blow up, you know, if I don't become popular, if I don't see something huge happen in a year, I'm going to do something else. And then a year goes by. It's like, no, 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 I still love it. I still got time. I still got time, you know. And you do, you know, your perspective does change as you get older, as it should. But, like, I don't know. I think there's always time to be young, Yeah, and it's not like, like a, to do stupid I'm not like shit. throwing all my instruments up on eBay and being like, I'm – I'm giving up on this. And I don't necessarily mean it. Like it, if anything, the pandemic's really focused me more career wise, like going forward. Cause I miss it so much. Cause I can't do it. Especially mm-hmm. the stuff, more of the stuff that I do. Well, I hit, it's weird. I hit kind of a point where, so, you know, having a two year old, you know, I, I did a cut, you know, probably a dozen, let's call them tours where, you know, I'd go out on the road for a week to two weeks and play shows, uh, drive, you know, pick a route and then go, um, hundreds and hundreds of miles. And now like, I can't do that. Like my wife would let me, if I was coming home after two weeks with 20 grand in my pocket, not $200. So when the pandemic hit, you know, still playing shows, um, I'm almost, I'm you know like I do want to go back to play playing shows, but I want to play the right shows where people give a yeah. shit. I've played so many where maybe I got paid well, but we got ignored, or it was just too far for too. We traveled too far for too yep. little. I drove to and, Delaware for fifty dollars once, and I'm like, yeah. I don't want to. Well, I mean, I drove to uh, Hannibal, Missouri, for one single gig. Uh, I drove to Nova Scotia, Canada for a two-day gig. 
Now, both of these, so there, there's there's more than one way to look at it, like what you get back out of the I gig. Mean, the one in Hannibal paid well, but both of our sets were kind of shit. Not because we played poorly, but we had bad time slots, yeah. and we were the wrong band in the wrong place at the wrong time for the yeah. crowd. So, yeah, we made money, but I had to travel two days you know, it was a lot of energy, wear and tear on my car. Was it worth it? I don't know. Maybe 22, 23, 24-year-old me wouldn't have cared, but 38-year-old me was like, damn. And, you know, I could have played at the taco joint close to my house, made 200 bucks, been done by 9 o'clock, and slept in my yeah. own bed. And then the Nova Scotia Canada one, uh, again, it did pay well. And it was poorly attended, but uh, we got to sleep, and the whole thing was in a Victorian village. So we got to sleep in a Victorian house. It was right on a river. Really got to play in a really cool church. Um, oh, it, once was a church, the other time was a courthouse. You know. Yeah, but even that, you if but, you do it, if you approach it right, you could almost treat it like a semi-paid vacation. Like exactly, if you look yeah. at it that way. Like but, it's a, it's an experience. Yeah, and it's at least a. I imagine that one's probably when you think about gigs that you've played, you'll probably remember that one semi fondly. I, I I do. I well, we I did it twice, yeah. so yeah, I remember it fondly. Um, but again, now where I am in life, would I slash could I do that again? Like, I would have to. It, it, that particular one, it's a the the end result is great, but there's a whole lot of nothing through Maine when you're going up there. Like you're not gonna be getting a string of gigs on yeah. the way up there. You no, know but driving to so, a small Delaware suburbs local dive rock bar. Not worth it. Like oh, yeah. I had fun. I I, I, I like the that trip I remember fondly just riding in the car with my buddy for, you know, all those times. And we had some yeah. dumb conversations in the car, but we could have—I could have just driven down to his house, and we could have had the same stupid conversation. I did a, a couple of tours with a bandmate who was financially stable. They were—they were doing fine. They were doing well with their day job, and like they had a ball. But I was stressing out over like you know, it, I needed to yeah. make money. So I needed, you know, people to show up to the shows. We needed to sell merch. And for them, it was like a semi-paid vacation because mm-hmm. they had, you know, a great job where I was like, this is my job. If nobody shows up, I don't get paid. You don't get paid. But he didn't care because he was getting paid at his regular job. Yes. So, you know, and, and I don't I don't uh, begrudge anybody who has a band that's like that, you know. Not it's, at all. It's- but, uh, yeah. Yeah, if you got a great day job, shit. But um, yeah, I think the to circle back and close out with the pandemic. Like, I did a bunch of Facebook shows, and uh, I got a lot of gratification out of that. I was like, holy crap! I didn't think I would actually like this, but um, I'm I'm fine with not playing a show for a good long while until a there's a vaccine because there's so many dumb people out there that are just I, I just. I don't care what you, you know, like it, it's a fact. There's a, there is a virus out there and we got to change not to get all political, but we got to, we get, we're so spoiled and we don't want to change anything about our way of yeah. life. 
and I don't want to go back out there again till it's a hundred percent safe because my you know then I can't see my mom if I'm around other people. I'm worried I'm gonna give it to my kid or my yeah. wife. And when it comes back around, I want to play fewer but better shows. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do those Delaware for fifty bucks. Like, ain't worth it. No. When you put seventy five into the gas tank, you know, or you know, you or you broke even on gas, but then you spent twenty bucks at the bar on booze and shit food, so you're actually at a loss. For I the night. think we took a loss between. Ga- I think. Basically, the money the money that the bass player made went into gas, and the money that I made went into tolls and uh, Wawa food at twelve thirty in the morning. Yeah. Nothing like getting now, home from Delaware at four thirty a.m. to have to be to work at nine a.m. And like when you're younger. You know, I, I would do more of those shows, and I would still consider one of those shows now if it was like, you know, you get to play in some spectacular location that's a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime, you know, or I whatever. I would drive to Delaware to have one of my bands open up for an artist that I really like, but I'm not going to go to Delaware oh, yeah. to play with a bunch of local Delaware bands. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's you know, nothing wrong with Delaware bands, listeners. Yeah, no, Delaware. no offense to uh, just in yeah, general. I mean, I'm using Delaware just because that's the one that sticks out as far as like I can't believe we did that. Here's a here's a quick uh, turning a shitty show into a pretty good situation. Well, it's a good story, and I have something that's still lasting from it. We were playing in uh, South Bend, Indiana. And it was this weird bar where, like, if you were under 21, you could come in. It was like a youth center slash bar. There's video only, games, a bar. Indiana. <laughs> yeah. And um, the owner, the guy that booked us, had a house that was, like, a block away, so the bands would stay at his house. Fair. And um, we played the show. There were a couple people milling around. We literally made $6 in tips. It was one of those gigs where... I took it because it was like a in between, uh, you know, a better gig and another gig, and it was like a Tuesday, mm-hmm. and we needed something, and it, it it also provided us a place to stay. So we we made literally six bucks, and there were one, two, three, four, I think five of us. So we get back to this guy's. Um, here, let me let me. Uh, we get to this guy's place before the show, and I see he's got this uh, lyre-shaped Glockenspiel set. Yeah, you know, like the it's an upright uh-huh. one. I'm staring at it right now to give away the ending, and I'm like, "Ooh, I gotta see if he's gonna if he'd sell that to me. I gotta make a you know something out of a shitty night." And uh, I did, so I'm like, "I'm gonna offer him fifty bucks. I know it's worth more than fifty bucks, but like, that's all I can afford." And I go up there with the drummer and the clarinet player, and just as I'm about to sell him my pitch, the drummer's like, "Yeah, man, that thing's worth at least 150." I'm like, "You motherfucker! We talked about this. I can only afford." Fi-. And he just blurts that out. Uh, but lucky enough, he gave it to us for 50 bucks. And then uh, the sleeping quarters for that night were two bunk beds and a uh, uh, a love seat. And the top bunk there must have been puke from the band the night before dried on the sheets oh god and the and the girls had to sleep it you know she 
well, they were troopers. They tore off the sheets, and it was just there was a in the the the, the shitter. This whole ceiling was like torn out. It the whole house was just a mess. Where we're like, man, if we were like eighteen, this would be punk rock and it'd be great. But like, I'm in my mid thirties. This sucks. I don't want to do this yeah. again. But I got that Glockenspiel, and it's it's still used to this day. So that was like. The rest of the night was a shit show, but I got something good out of it. That's good. Yeah. Travel stories are always interesting. From someone who wants to tour but hasn't ever really traveled extensively as a musician. The thing you find out is that you don't really know the people you're in a band with until you've spent days and days and days with them. Where suddenly those little personality traits come out that maybe you don't see at practice yeah. or at a show. You know, the the upright bass player. She's she was older than I am um, now, which is fine. But um, you know, she's a she was a mother. You know, has a husband and pretty straight laced. And then uh, you know, we're in the car one night driving somewhere, and suddenly she just turns into. Uh, Mr. Hyde just ah, ah I need I need red meat I need a burger now god damn it and we're like what the shit happened to her <laughs> like whoa just that kind of like holy crap and um another couple of bandmates bickered for days on end another bandmate swore to, these are all separate tours swore to high heaven that he had his parts ready uh, horn player and uh, first gig shat the bed. He didn't. He didn't know his parts, yeah. and it was terrible. And we had to spend the entire next day in the hotel running horn parts. So it's like, oh wow, wish I would have known that you, you know, you couldn't have been upfront with us. Like just little personality traits that come out, yeah, and of people when you spend. Lots and lots of time with them, and sometimes they're they're it's great, you know. There there's been some bandmates too where it's like, holy cow, they were a trooper. Yeah. They Johnny on the spot helping unload, pack up, selling merch. You know what do you need? You need a glass of water. I got this. One time a bandmate like we all got super super drunk, and uh, the next day uh, we were in a bed and breakfast that was part of the gig, and she brought us all like glasses of water and like little vi- um the vitamin C packets. Yeah. And she's like, do you guys need any food? Like, it's like, whoa, mom, thanks. Team mom. Yeah, there's a, uh, yeah. There's a drummer I follow on, on YouTube and he, he posts, he's a, a hired session drummer and a hired, a hired touring drummer. And he did a little, like, he just got a very, very dry, sarcastic, smart assy sense of humor. So I, I really appreciate it. And he was just talking about like, he made a joke about the the pre-gig like the pre-show chant and it was just the front man of the mm. band like they're doing their 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 hands in and they like break huddle thing <laughs> and i and just the front man of the band just goes i have many small resentments buried up against all of you <laughs> yeah it's it, it's it's interesting uh you know i haven't done any like really really extensive like i said the longest i've ever done was 2 weeks but um you learn a lot about yourself and the other people you're with, and, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And it's a it's a a tour 
if you're a musician, I would say I would highly recommend it, even if it's just a week, even if it's like five days, something where you go far enough away where you can't just turn around and come yeah. home. Um, because it's a, you know, everybody takes music for granted, I feel, these days. But like making it and also being on a tour is a thing relatively few people ever yeah. do. You know, not every musician, and then we're a fraction of the population, so it's a singular experience. It's a it small is percentage like of a big... small percentage, that's for sure. I mean, luckily yeah. I have the tech skills that I, I'm i hoping to make it happen. I doubt, I doubt I'll tour as a, as a musician on steady gigs where mm-hmm. there's, you know, a filled room every time. If it... If the world surprises me and allows that to happen, I welcome it. But I also accept that if I'm going to tour, it's probably going to be as a as an audio tech. Well, that's the other thing too. When you're not filling rooms, where you're fighting for every little bit, and and you know, knowing my route would be dictated by who I knew. Mm-hmm. You know, do I know ten people in this city? You know, through social networking or past shows. Okay, I guess we're playing that part of town yeah. again. Because um, I can't just... I don't just have fans everywhere where you could just book a you know a good club and then it fills the room. And then sometimes your first choice venue either doesn't have the day you need available or turns yeah. you down. Sometimes your second choice and third choice. And then you end up, you know, in South Bend, Indiana playing at some weirdo bar slash teen lounge and you're going how how did i end up here god love them you know they you know they they weren't bad people but it was just like damn it yeah you know it's not the uh so the, it, it's not the travel i don't think that would grind me because like we we would drive when i was a kid like we don't as a family we don't fly wherever okay. we go we drive so that i that nomadic instinct i guess is just ingrained in me yeah but, I didn't find out till I was in my 20s that my mom is terrified of airplanes. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense why we drove everywhere. You know, every family trip was a road trip and we never flew. I thought we were just that poor. Yeah. But it turns out my mom hid her fear of airplanes because, like, we were going on a cruise, uh, the, the one of two my family's ever been on. And I was like, mom, why don't we just fly down there? We'll save days because we lived mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. And she just went, no, like in a way that I've never heard her be so like adamant. I'm like, what's going on here? I'm making a lot of sense. It'll save a lot of time and days. And then I found out that she's terrified of flying. I've only flown three times in my life. And they've all been weird. One time when I was four or four, yeah, I went with my grandparents to the Disney in Florida and my grandmother had a stroke on the plane so that was awesome don't don't really oh, wow. remember it man i had this thing with disney in florida where like if people that i was close to were planning on going went or planned on going like someone in my family would die and it's happened like 6 times in my life we should never get close cuz i love disney world and we were planning on going in November before the pandemic hit, so we're not, last, though. So n- the last couple times people have went, it's been fine, but there was a 10-year stretch, probably more like 
a 15 years yeah 15 year stretch where people were just I predicted it once too I was complaining about it at work one day years ago and my coworker was like because I was like freaking out I was like yeah like someone like this set of cousins that I really like is going to to Disney and they're like well do you have like what's gonna what do you think is gonna happen I was like well my one great aunt is like 102 so I wouldn't be surprised if if she was the one to go <laughs> two months later oh my oh god boy. I hate it when I'm right sometimes not to uh yeah not to dwell on the uh the downer thing but to circle back to the the touring thing real quick I was thinking like if you go as a drum tech your experience is going to be very different than if you went as a musician yeah. um because it won't be incumbent upon you to fill the room but also like you can't go party well I'm, yeah cuz you you know you might be able to but like you've got a job like a strict job to do yes and they're hiring you for that and as a musician that is one of the things thinking back now like if you're getting free drinks or you're every night you're in a bar or yeah. a club you end up drinking every night and the older you get like you can't do that as well and then have to get in the car and drive six more hours yeah from the the touring people that come through the venues that I work in that I talk with the the partying thing is kind of a thing of the past even for like bands these days but like especially like crew dudes they're like yeah on your day off like you and the crew are probably going to go out and you're going to share a couple beers and and whatnot but yeah there are crews where like <laughs> substance and alcohol are tolerated throughout the day but all of them have said they're like those are to those are crews that you do not want to be on and i'm like <laughs> yeah i i I take my audio teching seriously, be it From sound or, or drum teching. Like I, I don't, and I'm not really a partier to begin with. I haven't really. I pretty much have given up drinking this year anyway. Just that's tough to do with the quarantine. I definitely have not. I should, because it's such a easy thing to be. You know, oh, here the booze is right here. They'll bring it to my door. I don't even need to yeah. go get it. It was more of just a, um, with the touring. a test of strength. No, oh, I, I keep cutting you off, and I feel... I was doing really good with not cutting people off for episodes, but oh well. We can add it. We yeah, can add it whatever. in. Whatever. I was going to say, the thing that I think gr ground me down the most from, you know, a very... Not the touring crew. You know, this is all DIY. It's yeah. like you're, you're in a car with a trailer, maybe, Um was sleeping in other people's houses. Like, I would never book a hotel because a lot of times I wasn't making enough where it made yeah. sense. Um, and I don't think I can do it anymore. You know, I could if I had to, but, like, just countless nights of staying on somebody else's couch, showering in somebody else's shower, being in their space, constantly being like, is it cool? You know, what time do you need me out? Do you got to go to work in the morning? Is that, like... Again, that nomadic life, I guess, like in my 20s and early 30s, I was much more like, fuck it, whatever, this is what you do. And as I got older, it's like, you know what? I don't want to sleep on the floor in my sleeping bag again. Or we stayed at some uh, a couple's house where I didn't know they were heavy smokers. Uh. And it sucked. And on top of that, like, great people, and I'm not telling where they were or whatever, um, 
but uh, heavy, heavy smokers. And in addition, not clean house living. And like, I remember vividly getting out of the shower, putting my foot down on the bathroom tile and just having kitty litter on it because they had the cat box in the toilet. And I'm like, great. I just got out of the shower and my like I didn't step in the litter box. It was oh, just yeah. all over in the bathroom. And it's like, you know what? I don't need to be doing this. What am I doing with yeah. my life? We did a, a sound company I work for. We did an install. Um, like in the greater Baltimore area. And there was a really cheap hotel r- right across the parking lot from this place we were installing a, a sound system in. So we stayed there the first night and in my room in the, the shower didn't like the tub didn't drain. Oh boy. And so it was like, you know, we're, ba- you know, we're in an open construction site and like at the beginning of June during the day and we worked for like 14 hours that day. So I just wanted to shower and I, I'm, well, I, I'm fairly passive with things. So I was like, you know, the the person I was rooming with, I was like, you can shower first. And he comes out. He's like, yeah, the tub's not draining. And I was like, great. So then I texted yeah. someone else on the crew who's in the room next to us, and I was like, yo, um, can can we shower? Like, can I shower in your room? They're like, yeah, you can, but we're not really getting a whole lot of, like, water pressure. And I was like, yeah, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I, I'm a cold shower guy for the most part anyway. Like, hot, no hot water doesn't – that's not a, a bummer to me. Just, I just want something. I'll take a 20-minute shower just getting drizzled on. I was initially uh, reticent to play, uh, like, conventions that take place in hotels – but I came around to them real fast because, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of steampunk conventions and often, you know, they would pay and pay decent. But like, you know, the downside is like the the, the internal quote unquote rock star and you wants to be playing on a big stage in a cool club, whatever, whatever. And at the convention, you're playing in a boardroom, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes there's good lighting, good sound and everything, but you're still in a boardroom. But like end of the day you play your gig and then instead of having to drive anywhere you go up to the hotel room you're home yeah. you know like that's awesome and then you know if you, you you get multiple sets over two and a half days you set up your merch table like it's a totally different dynamic where if you're at a club and you don't have a merch person you know you got to bust ass down there and you've got that moment where you can sell stuff yeah. but at a convention like great things happen because like somebody can see your set on Friday, not buy anything and come to your merch table Sunday morning and buy stuff. And you've got that whole time. If you've got the, the gift of gab, which I do to sit there at your, your table, your storefront and talk to people and people at those events come with money to burn and people would buy CDs without ever hearing the band just off the pitch because they were there to discover new stuff. Where, like, a lot of times, you know, the bars and clubs, like, it's fucking hard as hell to get people to come out. But when it's a matter of, like, oh, I got to drive 30 minutes at 10 o'clock at night to come see you, or I'm already at a hotel for the whole weekend, I can get 
plastered and watch your set and then just stumble upstairs. I, you know what I? You know what my feeling on that is? It's I think it's parking. I think it, yeah. yeah. If you're playing at a convention center or a hotel, they either have a their own parking lot or if it's a city, they have their own garage. Oh yeah. But if you're playing, I've played some weird like just small venues where it's only street parking in the city and no one's going to come out because I I had to park three blocks away. I looked for parking uh, in Manhattan for over an hour, and I was playing yeah. the gig. I, I had a, Luckily, I had a friend who was playing that night as well, and we had to switch the order around because I was late for my set time. I was going to be yeah. late. So that's high stress. Um but a uh, real quick parking uh, story. Uh, I was playing a convention in Detroit, a big hotel, and it was a four-day event. We got there on Friday. We had driven from Baltimore. Uh, got there, uh, had our had my vehicle right in front, you know, at the hotel mm-hmm. where you the unloading place. And this place was weird, where they had bellhops, and the bellhop had to take your stuff up to your room. It was like policy. So that was a little weird, not in a bad way. But we unloaded all our stuff, got into the room, and had a set right away. Like our so it's like it was go 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 go. Played the set, and then I did not leave the hotel. I didn't even go outside for four days. I stayed in the hotel the whole time. It was a big hotel. Just you know, you're in the game. You're you're selling stuff. You're playing shows. You're having a good yeah. time. I just never stepped outside. So Sunday morning, afternoon comes. We got a pa- or it was Monday because it was four days. We're packing up. We're walking out to the car. Can't find the car. Can't find the fucking car. I can't find the car. I left the car in the unloading dock right at the front of the hotel with my flashers on. And I had four tickets and the battery is dead. Nice. Because I didn't step outside the hotel once in four days. I never noticed my dumb ass. Like, we were in such a hurry. We got up to the room. Then we went down, set up our table, played our set. And I was just in show mode for four days. Never went, oh, no, the car. And I was so pissed at the hotel. I was like, maybe you make an announcement. Hey, there's a car with the flashers going off. the owner of the... (laughs) Yeah. The blue Hyundai Santa Fe from Maryland with the flashers on. Instead, they kept piling tickets up on me. You know, of course, the battery died eventually, and they didn't know the flashers were on. But the bellhop who helped bring our shit up, that's the guy that should have been like, hey, boss, uh, room 205, uh, they're not coming down for their car. It's been, uh, the flashers have been on for three hours. You know, where was that guy? Anyway. I'm sure your listeners are dying to hear that dumbass story. I, you know, they listen to the random things that I say, so it's more enter- more entertaining than most of my musician stories. <laughs> There's a uh, there, you know, when you're doing it yourself, like you never want to have a bad a bad day, but they do, they do happen, and it's almost better if it's just stupendously terrible like you know a very mediocre show is worse than where like everything just implodes and you can at least just maniacally laugh to yourself at just how ridiculous of a situation you're yeah in. i've had gigs where i just sucked that day and i didn't play well everything else was fine and those gigs hurt but 
I've had worse gigs start to finish where just anything that could have went wrong went wrong and somehow worse. And I look back, I don't miss any of the cringe, like playing the cringy, gross places that I've played before, but there's that part of me that's just like, oh, I miss the stories that would come from that. Like, I don't want to live it, but I... You don't want to do it again, but once you've done it, it's there. You always have that story. You know, the time Melissa slept in a puke bed, you know. I don't want to I don't want that situation ever again for any of us especially her but the story is there. Yeah, just like getting hit on by really gross old ladies after the set. Like I don't want any of that. But those stories are funny. I'm trying now I'm trying to think of other bad No, I mean ones. but there was they one would co- be, they would be old for you, Eli. <laughs> There was one time we were playing, it was a convention, and uh, between songs, I'm like, what the hell is that? I can hear something. Coming through the PA was uh, a Mexican radio station. (laughs) So when we stopped playing, it was playing mariachi music through the PA. I was like, oh my God, come on. Get it together. That's awesome. Oh, man, there's there's been... a lot of highs and lows. Some of the best shows I've done have been house shows just because like you can make more money and more personal connections with 15 people than 150 because they're there listening, they're engaged, they are there to see music. Yes. You know, they're not there to get laid, you know, get drunk. Well, all that can happen, but it's, you know, it all depends on what kind of music you're playing too, but intimate and you know you're looking those people in the eye. You can tell them the story of the song. Or a lot of times when you got a 45 minute set, it's bang, 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 go, go, go. Somebody's on after mm-hmm. you. You know where this like you can have a 10 minute window between songs where you just tell the story of whatever happens in the moment, and it makes it more enriching. I feel a lot of times for the the listeners too. There's one gig I was playing Brandy. where. Uh where you know the couple was leaving the bar and they were doing the uh, arm over the shoulder kind of how like touchy feely thing and I'm just like that guy's getting laid tonight because of us and that that feels good <laughs> like it's not probably not making a lot of money from this gig but I you're welcome sir yeah that's that's the best um, compliment to a musician on stage there well. I, I, I don't want to one-up you. There's been a couple that I've been very lucky to have, and they're they're not that um, – they're not happy ones. Um, again, we were playing a convention, and this was a huge room, and the sound guys fucked us. Like, they had four hours to give us a sound check, and they didn't, and then we had to go pretty much do a line check when it was like – it was a six-piece band, six- or seven-piece band – like four to five hundred people was in the, the room. Was the crew running behind, and or was was it just like they, they they gave the slightly bigger band, not in size, the duo, but bigger in popularity, a very very as long as they wanted of a sound check, and they ran long, and we didn't get our sound check. So I was I was steaming because I was like. And I was and I was being a, you know a bitch to the guy. Uh, I was like you you know you fucking had four hours. What's going on here? Why are you rushing me now? We traveled hundreds of miles to be here. 
Um, and so I was I was hot. And right before we go on, and I'm just you know in a bad mood. Uh, right before we go on, a, a, a lady comes up to me and says, uh, she kind of gestures behind her, says that uh, uh, that girl's boyfriend uh, was murdered a couple days ago, and his favorite song was this song of mine. Could you play it? And it's one of those moments where it makes you go, yeah, everything I was mad about... Just doesn't matter, yeah. Doesn't matter. And... I ha- you know to be able to give that to that person makes you go like that's my purpose in life what I'm that's what I'm here to do whatever you know I'm he- maybe your band was there to get somebody laid but I've discovered like my music is there its purpose is to be there for you when you have no one else to be there for you right when you, you know like that empathetic and that was just humbling where it's like okay let's do yeah. it guys you know, and it that that terrible incident, in a weird way, made the night that much better because it made me realize what really mm-hmm. matters. No, I think that's a matter of you perspective know, so. thing. Because I'm not when I play out live, I'm not a band member. Like I didn't, <clears throat> I had no input in the writing of any of the music or lyrics. I'm just there to perform the part that's needed for the song as a, you know, I'm a hired gun more so than a, you know, an actual band member. So I don't really get any of those stories where I'm sure, I'm sure my front man does. If that, if that makes sense, like, well, and you know, as far as like hired gun or even, you know, I've had bandmates where, you know, they're in the band, but they're not, in the band like even if you didn't write a note of it like and i'm not knocking being a hired gun that's a little bit different but uh when you make it yours in some way like when you own it and like this is my band um great stuff happens yeah you know that when it, it it is it is part of you it this is you know you're gonna help pack up you're gonna stand at the merch table. You're gonna talk with more people. You're gonna make yeah, more I mean, connections. I, you're not. I just, do those things too. It's not like. But I mean, if you're a straight up hired gun, I would never expect that of a hired gun. Like I'm paying you, however much to play this set. You know, totally cool. It is not part of your responsibility to schmooze with fans. I try to. It's just you that know, no one. You know, people want to hear from the guy who's say, singing the words and telling the stories. A lot of times, um, it's interesting now. Like, like I, um, you know, I'm not at a position the, where it's just like, you know, with where I am with being like the, the hired gun in a band. It's like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to make sure that, yeah, I'm a hired gun, but unless I literally can't do this anymore, I'm still gonna be the guy. So it's a yeah. that weird gray area between like. It's not technically my band, but I am. I'm in the band. That's how I treat it. Well, I was. It was. I was gonna say um, the Fermata track that you just played on. Um, so that band was my band when I was in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and I I wrote all the you know the songs and the lyrics. Lisa was the front person, and um, she kind of asked me. So now that we're back together after over eleven years, she asked me. She's like, you know. 
do you mind if I put my face on the, you know, the Facebook thing? And I was like, no, that's fine. She's like, you don't mind if people think I'm the one that writes the songs? And she's like, I'm not going to tell them I do that. But, you know, I was like, yeah, you're way, you know, you're, you're more magnetic looking than I am. Yeah. Put, put your face on it. Like it's, it's marketing. And, um, I know people are probably going to think she writes the songs because they think the front person always writes the songs. And, you know, 26 year old me would have been like, no, people got to know that I write the songs. But 39 year old me is like, I don't give a shit as long as they're into the music. I don't care if they think whatever they think. I just want you to give the music a chance. Yeah, and I'm um, not like at gigs. I'm not just like, ha, I'm not technically in the band. Sort. Of. I mean, you yeah. Know, I, if I I like it when people come up and be like, you guys are a fucking great band. I'm like, yes, thank you. Well, the the thing too with her, like when it when she's the singer but not the mm-hmm. writer, like making the song hers. Yeah. When it's you, you know she's not just playing the part of the song. Like it, you know, she's owning it, and that's a great thing when you see that in uh, different bandmates. Um, Tillman, the cellist, oh, yeah. you, you know, I you know met Tillman. Tillman, like, and he's like just so great at writing a part for the song. He doesn't need to be flashy, but he can be flashy, and he's humble about what he does. So like, and he and he takes pride in his craft. So like it, it's great. I we even you and I have never actually played a gig together, but I feel it would be the similar to you know like Tillman, where like a good bandmate, in in respect of like they care about the craft, they care about the song, they care about the product you're putting out. They're not just like yeah, going through the yeah motions. with the uh, the blues band I'm in. It like our front man's always like you know he'll book a gig and it'll be like are we good for this day? And here's what gig payout is. Is that going to be fine for everyone? And myself and the bass player, our our usual first line of question is just like, what time do we need to be there? And is there food? Because <laughs> this is almost paid fun time for us because we just enjoy being in the band. So it's it- truly about performing the music and having a good time and the business side's kind of secondary will this go around with us it's going to be interesting because you know tillman and i are here in maryland and then cody and lisa are in wisconsin still and we're talking about obviously we're going to be writing an entire album with zero in-room practices um just zoom meetings and luckily we all have some recording capabilities at home where we can lay down ideas before you know they go into the studio, or I uh-huh. do. Um, but we're also talking about you know, well, when the pandemic's over, if I can book some shows either back in Wisconsin or out here, you guys, you know, you want to be a band again, like for real on a stage, even though it'll be much more difficult because the gigs gotta gotta be worth them flying halfway across the yeah. country. But it's possible, and it's cool to see you know that they have the fire to do that. Yeah. And it gives me it gets me back riled up where, you know, before I was talking about like oh, it's got to be the right mm-hmm. show, but like seeing other people excited makes you go, "Hell yeah, I'll put in the work. I'll do it. They're doing it, you know, and it's contagious." Yeah, it, we we played a a small outdoor gig at the beginning of the month. Man, and the the 40 minutes we played was the best I felt in a very long time. 
I was just so happy to be on stage with the dudes and and then it like there's a really sentimental song that we usually play towards the end of the set where it's just the lyrics hit me in a right way and probably just because of everything that's going on with the pandemic and the shutdown it started raining and i just flat mm. out cried like play playing playing the part and just like shedding a couple tears and i was like this is a this is a magical moment that i'm it is on i'm still stuck on the fact that you're a drummer that actually knows the lyrics yeah, i did all you're a rare I'll breed sing al- i'll sing along to most of our songs when we play not to draw attention but i you know usually under my breath and we have a couple choruses when i want to ramp up the energy i'll i'll mouth the words along to it well that's the thing too like that that looks good and if it's natural it you know again audience members pick up on that and you know for me like i'm always always been a words guy and it it's been deflating like i've had you know many many bandmates over the years where they're like, oh yeah, what are the lyrics to this song again? I'm like, you've been playing it for three years. Like, this is the most important part of the song to me. You don't know any of the lyrics to these songs? Aww. Yeah. And I'm trying to actually, you like know, that- as I said earlier to one of my critiques, I'm trying to actually make uh, make facial expressions. Because it's even harder with the beard, because from a distance I look like the top half of a face. Uh huh. So I gotta, I gotta give him something. You, you gotta get the Dave Grohl hair so you can. Dude, every it. photo of me playing drums, like I swear I'm having fun when we play, but I just look so. Yeah, I play. I there was a drummer I used to play with where it was just abs- gave you absolutely nothing, but there's that trade off, you know, if they're. Whatever the instrument, if they're super in time, if they you know pl- if they're playing their part, I would rather have that than them be sloppy and putting on a good you know moving around, shucking and jiving, getting yeah. all you know fancy with it's it. Like there's a lot of you know um, I like I want to make sure my technique's good. I want to make sure like my posture behind the kit is good so I can get through this three hour gig. Like my yeah. lower back's messed up. I got I have to take care of it if I'm going to have longevity in life. I, I got to focus on that, you know. Well, same thing with like singing too. Like I've never been, um, uh, you know, I had a little bit of uh, voice training, but like mostly, you know, figuring it out on your own. And like there'd be nights where like you get into it and you, you know, you let it go and you let it all out. And then you go, shit, I'm going to be hoarse for tomorrow and I got another yeah. set. Especially when you're on the road. Like you got to, you got to still present that emotional whatever but you gotta you know it's like it's like if you just let it all hang out and you're doing a play but you got you know seven shows a week two on sunday like you you gotta find a way to do it i used to you know play so hard that my you know fingers bled on the electric guitar and then i'd be like rock and roll that's awesome and the older i got like no no that hurts and we gotta play tomorrow um bass player upright bass player got so into it one night just rocking the fuck out he tore off one of his blisters or one of his calluses That's on his happened finger to me before uh, and i was and it, he was hurting he had a bandage up his hands and like we got to keep going we got to set tomorrow yep. and one after that so yeah you want to rock out but maybe scale it back a little cuz it's a it's a marathon yeah um yeah 
I try not to. Uh, How? When I go to concerts, I really don't like seeing shows numbers three through eight on the tour. Because I know that's when the, <laughs> the front of tour lag is going to hit the bands. So seeing them like right in the right at the beginning of the middle or right towards the end is always the best. It It's funny, even on, like I said, my own DIY, you know, you're shucking around in a car. Um, the day before... I don't want to go. I'm like, oh, I don't want to leave home. I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to go. Uh, by night number one, you're like, woohoo! I'm on the road. We're doing it, man. Then in the middle, you're like, fuck this. I want to go home. I want to go home. And then by the end of it again, you're like, damn, I want to stay out a little yeah. longer. It's just a you know emotional roller coaster of where you are, and it, and it is contingent too upon how well the shows are going. Yes. We've all had we all um, question. Yeah. How do we artfully wind down the conversation? If, perchance, one would say, "I have a Chicago Cubs baseball game I would like to watch and a child to kiss before she goes to bed." Uh, I end we every podcast with a signature kind of exodus. But if you have anything you wanna wanna plug before we end it. Oh, um, yeah. Eli August music. Eli August is uh, on the Spotify's, all the other crapola. Uh, Fermata, my band, is doing uh, crowdfunder. We got 19 days left. It's, um, I would describe it as we, uh, back in the day, we called it chamber rock. So, um, high drama, lots of strings, powerful female vocals. I don't know. Do you have any? What would you What would you describe it as? I know I'm putting you on the spot with that that old chestnut. I feel like at least the song or two you've heard. I feel like chamber rock makes a lot of sense. That's a good description of it. That's better than anything I would come up with. It was one of those where like we didn't coin the phrase, but we're like, yeah, this fits. And you know, it's as like, a band, if you're not like in a blues rock band, that's yeah. easy. You know. Uh, a ska punk band that's easy but with my solo stuff it's always been like i don't know weirdo sort of dark folk yeah. you know there's no ch- chamber rock sounds like bam okay i get cinematic that cinematic rock cinematic alternative yeah. rock i've been i've been using that too i've been saying it's got a lot of cinematic everything, qualities everything to you it. write has a very cinematic quality to it for the most part i appreciate that for, at least from my yeah, perspective yeah there's well, there's small ones there's small songs too that don't and but I do man, you know, now you're gonna get me started again about like money. Like if money wasn't an issue, it always gets me going when I think of bands like the Foo Fighters or just, you know, made bands, yeah. right? Bands that are rich. Like, why the hell don't they go on tour with a klezmer band? Like switch it up like as part of the Foo Fighters. Why don't they go with a string quartet? Why not do an album like that? Why not? You're rich go crazy like if i had the money oh daddy yeah you know all the i don't want to do another i don't want to do my 16th album where it's guitar guitar drums and bass uh you know like i get it pay the philharmonic to back you you know yeah anyhow that would be sick so uh indiegogo for fermata uh if people out there actually listen to this and go huh yeah, it's so tough to get people to try. Donate new stuff, to both so of our Patreon it. pages. 
Be yeah. Cool. Be cool, baby. Be cool. Take care of, of those mean, in an industry that's non-essential. Woo! But it is, though. It is. We're providing in multiple ways, you know, entertainment that people have just grown so accustomed to getting yeah. for free. But music and, you know, podcasts are ubiquitous. They're, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it does pass the time. It is comforting for people that, you know, are alone to have voices that are, you know, uh, even if it's just a podcast yeah. or music. So I don't think it's non-essential at all. I think it's just been taken for granted. Perhaps. Yeah. Start appreciating so us, people. I, tell, send us a message and tell us how good we're doing. Well, Patreon is great. So if you're listening and you want to back Adam's or uh, mine, like the reason it's great is like it's a sustainable way to help you supplement your living. Like it's it's diaper money for me. Like no joke. Like for my kid, yeah. like it's extra gro- it's extra groceries. It's it's a way that like if you can't get out there and play shows, I can still create and provide a product to people. Um, and people can back it for a dollar, two dollars, whatever. Yes. So go back Adam's Patreon. And then if you Good can night. spare it, back Eli's Patreon or Fermata's. Are you guys for uh, Patreon for Fermata or are you Indiegogo? Just Indiegogo. Okay. We, we, uh, we're going to do both, but uh, it's been 11 years since we put out an album and I didn't know who was going to come out of the woodwork, like old gotcha. fans. And I didn't want to do, you know, we hemmed and hawed to, about doing it's both. To just promote the one. Um, yeah, you're right. And then, like, once this is over, I think I'll pull all the people that have pledged so far and go, hey, would any of you be interested in, um, like, uh, Living Unafraid, the, t- the other tune you yep. played on, uh, that one is probably going to be an eventual Patreon okay. one because it doesn't fit the vibe of the album. But, like, one of those where we can still create music singles. Right. Where, uh, you know, crowdfunders for an album is like a big, huge undertaking. And it's a, you know, but Patreon's great because it's piecemeal, a little bit at mm-hmm. a time. Um, so, yeah, not yet. Just Indiegogo for Fermata and then Patreon for uh, actually Eli August. That's my solo stuff. Fable Lore, which is the uh, the fantasy yeah, rock, had, fantasy folk rock band. I've had Waylon on before and he's enlightened the lis- the listeners who have listened to those episodes about fable lore go yeah please go listen to our we've got like eight tunes on uh the spotify the apple music uh it's more of a fantasy leaning uh i'm sitting at the mellotron right now mellotron native american flute baritone electric guitar cello and percussion and then i've got a patreon that i think three people are backing for my uh kids music eli july so you know if you got four bucks that you're burning a hole in your digital pocket you can get all three of mine and adam's to boot boom damn i just man we got to talk about this off the air there should be a patreon bundle option where you collaborate with other creators it's like okay well you could get mine for two bucks and adam's for two bucks and Wayland's for two bucks or if you do the bundle five bucks you get all three yeah i have i did a bunch of tears with mine though for the for this I just mean if one patron wants to back all three of us, where like we collaborate as like a co-op, the three, you know, we all work together. Anyway, this is getting real boring for anybody who isn't us. It's very, it's, yeah, it's, (laughs) if you can back us, we uh, independent content creators very much appreciate it. 
Uh, I will let you get to your family and your Cubs game. So, uh, as always, I like to end the show with do what you love, love what you do, travel light, and don't be a dick. I have trouble with the last one. Oh, me too. It's more. But it's a great sentiment. It's a good sentiment, but it's very hypocritical. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Adam. Uh, Look forward to seeing you soon, and uh, hopefully we'll do another one down the road. Yeah, I'll be back in the studio probably in a month or so, and there's going to be a couple more that are going to need your talents uh, behind the Yay. drum Yeah, back Eli, so then I get some dough. Yeah. All right, man. Sourdough. That's what I pay him in. Yeah, he, he pays later, me Adam. bread even though I do the keto thing. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm a Yeah, dick. you know. But I travel <laughs> light, so it's cool. All right, man. Take it easy. Stay Take safe. Care. Happy you didn't explode, not to keep you, but that the house that blew up in Baltimore, that was close to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, eight-tenths of a mile. Crazy. Yes. Happy you are safe. All right, good night or good morning or good afternoon. Good day, sir.